We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the ministry of reconciliation. Left off last week with verse 17. Wanted to say before we come into this, it is the work of the Lord that we as a church family are to be about. And uh, I was thinking as you're, you're seeing that video, you know, there's so much more that we want to display about ministry. All that's going on with our children's ministries that are going on, all that's going on with our seniors. Uh, but the idea is that we reach people and making disciples is reaching people with the gospel, but then also training those who have received the gospel to walk in the Lord and to serve the Lord with the lives that we have. Uh, this is really borne out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, last Sunday's message was really the culmination of a lot of things that the Lord's been leading through this passage in our own desires to try to make a difference in the world. And here's the point. Uh, there are a lot of difficulties that people face in ministry. There are a lot of different um, negative situations that people are experiencing. There are, there are past, or excuse me, churches without pastors. There are churches that are coming together today that are wondering if they're going to keep their doors open. And as we've been hearing, there's a great decline of those going into the mission field or the pastorate. And in noting all of that, it's one thing to note all those things. And again, many of us have the gift of being able to point out problems uh, and say, hey, I see something that's wrong. Uh, but it's actually trying to get to the scriptures and to find out what we're supposed to do about it. And I'm really thankful that the church has been committed to doing something about it. And while we are finding a place in our ministry to be more intensive about what we're doing, I want to commend you that you have been disciple-making all along, that you have been trying to point people to Christ, and you have been trying to teach the doctrines of the Word. And even this morning, what's happening in the junior church and what's happened here on the stage with our young people singing, all this is really meant to prepare all of us to be able to serve in whatever ways that God has given us. And I want to just underscore uh, what Caleb has tried to do in presenting uh, what Pastor Phil gave about the photo shoot uh, for families or for individuals. Uh, he called and said, you know, Pastor, uh, my wife and I, after last Sunday's message, were burdened with let's do something. And uh, I want to run an idea behind or by you. And he said, our idea is that maybe we, could, maybe we could do a photo shoot for the church family. We take pictures for the directory anyway. And many churches, or excuse me, many families want pictures in the fall of their families. So how about we do this uh, and we'll suggest or give a, a, uh, a price to it. But the price, everything that, everything that comes in from that would go towards helping to fund our interns that are going to be coming. And uh, I told Caleb, really, that is the heart of what this ministry wants to be. It wants to be Holy Spirit-led. You serve as God directs you. You do what God leads you to do. But I'm really pleased that he's been led to do that, he and his wife. And if you choose to avail yourself of that opportunity, uh, I'm sure it'll be a blessing all the way around. But Lord, guide you in that. And uh, we're thankful for what God has given us to do. Let's read verses 17 and 18. We'll go to prayer, and then we will get into the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Would you read these verses out loud with me? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, 
and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 17 is what we ended on last week, and a verse that many of us know well. And I hardly ever come to verse 17 without thinking in my own life, where would I be without Jesus? What would my life be like? It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I would submit to you that we don't really understand the all things are going to become, or all things are become new. That there's so much new that God has done that is yet to be unveiled for us for who know, those who know Christ. But many of us do know the experience of coming to Christ and having that sense of our burden being lifted, the burden and weight of our sin, having freedom or having peace. Many of us understand that when we get saved. But when you get saved, God gives you a different disposition. And I would say that that disposition largely comes from the indwelling of the person of God through the Holy Spirit. For when he comes into your life, he gives you a different mindset. After all, why are you here this morning? What gets you out on a Sunday morning to come to church? Really, we believe that believers do things like this because we love him. He gives us a heart that we did not have before. This morning, we're going to be looking at the majesty of reconciliation, the management of reconciliation, and the message of reconciliation. Now, don't worry about all three of those points. If we get through one, we get through one, but that's, that's the idea. The majesty of reconciliation. We have this in the beginning of verse 18. And all things are of God. I just have written beside this, what things? What are the all things that are of God? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What is meant by the all things? It does, uh, many times in your King James, you will have uh, italicized words that aren't a part of the original text, but in the translation of one language to another, those italicized words help to give meaning to the passage. In this one, they chose not to put uh, this uh, um, italicized word, there is one, and all things they are there of God, that's inserted to give understanding, but the idea is that all these things, and it's a broad statement, that broad statement is meant to bring majesty to God who is doing what God is doing, and what is in mind? Well, very clearly what's in mind is the message of reconciliation, the idea that it is God that makes a change in us. It is God that does all the work regarding our salvation and our fitness for heaven. It is God to whom all the glory belongs, and to, it is God to whom all of us will give praise. As we know in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know the verses. If you can quote it, quote it with me, and you're quoting it with me will help me hope hopefully not mess it up myself. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There is no boasting in heaven about anybody being there because none of us deserve it. Amen. None of us deserve to be in heaven, but it is because of Christ and what he's done for us that makes us fit for heaven. So nobody's going to be in heaven looking at the person next to them and saying, well, how did you get here? <laughs> um, without that coming back to us, well, how did you get here? The answer is the same for every person. Anybody in heaven will be there as a gift of God's grace that's been accepted through faith and all because of the finished work of Jesus. 
So Jesus is the reason that any of us will be able to go to heaven, but it has to be a personal relationship with him that has been offered to you as a gift that you must receive. Upon receiving that though, he does a work in us that again, I would submit that we all can't comprehend. But the idea is that he has taken all of our sin, he's given his righteousness in place of our sin. He's made his righteousness, he that is right, he that is holy, he that is without sin, he has given that to us who are sinners. Now, again, where is the glorying? Where is the glorying on how we got there? And I, again, I want to just say for the sake of the glory of the gospel, the great gospel message is that you don't work your way to heaven. Have you ever noticed that all these religions that teach you've got to do this and this and this and this and this to get to heaven, they still don't give you confidence that you've done enough. Why? Because there are no commandments of men that will make you right with God. There are no uh, methodologies of doing this or that and the other will actually get you there. The, the total glory of the message of the gospel is that glory belongs to God and that he displayed his power in his wisdom, in being able to take people who never deserve to be in heaven and making a way for them to be there and making that way through the cost of his own suffering. John chapter 1, if you'll go there, we'll look at two, two uh, short notes, in, one in John 1 and then one in 1 John 4. One in John 1 and one in 1 John 4. Uh, a, little, a little moment here for housekeeping. Derek, is he not in here, Pastor Phil? Can you make sure that washer is running back there? Get water in each one of them. And I need uh, Chuck, if you can check the restrooms out there. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, make sure there's water. Okay. Uh, every once in a while, we have a, a, a trap in our uh, plumbing system that gives a clear line right to the septic. And I smell it here at the pulpit. <laughs> yeah, it's the septic. <laughs> It's back there. <laughs> John chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. The majesty of reconciliation, all glory belongs to God. He was in the world, John 1, 10. And the world was made by him in the world what? How in the world is that possible? How is that possible that the one who made the world and is in the world, the world does not even know him? And is that message true today? Is it true that many, many, really most in the world don't know him? It's staggering to think how many people don't know him. The one who made it all. He came unto his own, verse 11, and his own what? Received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. The idea of power there is the right or authority to be called the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Those who did not have the right, he gave the right or the power to be called the sons of God. He did that by his power, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, a time out here. I think it's appropriate for all of us to reconcile that all glory of anybody being saved completely goes to God. Nobody here woke up one day on your own and said, you know what? I want to be saved. 
Nobody here in this room said, you know what? I want to be right with God on your own. You know why? If you've responded to the gospel, you know why that happened? It's because God was in the world drawing people through his spirit to the message of the gospel. And in Romans 1, he's given the indicators and clues of his existence. So the world is without excuse. They know there's a creator. They have to step past that to ignore him or deny him. But God in his grace, through his spirit, has given a call for people to be saved. And he's given the written word so that people can know God's desire for people to be saved. God's work is that he comes to us before we ever seek him. And verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Does the world know Jesus like this? No. Many in the world deny this very Jesus, full of grace and truth. Who is Jesus? He's just a man. Who is Jesus? He, uh, as some Jews would say, he was just uh, an upstart uh, anarchist. Uh, some would say he was a good teacher or a prophet. The Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus that created the world. The Jesus of the Bible is the eternal God who put on human flesh, knew this plan before the world was ever created, and yet created the world anyway, knew that he would have a plan to go to the cross to make a way for us to be saved. That God gets all glory for anybody being saved anywhere at any time. The majesty of reconciliation is that God's glory is revealed in his work. Romans chapter 1, I wasn't planning to go to this one. Uh, I want to go to uh, Romans, excuse me, 1 John 4 as well. But I want to show you one verse that speaks of this glory of God and the power of salvation. Romans 1, 16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? The gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, the gospel has come to all and the gospel reveals God's power. How devastating is sin in the world? How rampant is sin in the world? How all-encompassing is sin in the world? It is so all-encompassing that every one of us feels it. Every one of us experiences it. Every one of us has our own history of sin. And our sin is a huge weight against a holy God. But the power of God is that through the gospel, he makes a way for sinners to be saved. First John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we have the manifestation, the revealing of God's love to you and to me. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, if you have it there, read it with me. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, reading with me. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, then sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now listen, folks. I know that it's true, and I believe that it is so because the Bible declares it to be so, that everyone who is saved must make a decision to believe. Is that true? I do not know how you get around that truth in the Bible. 
But I want to tell you that many times uh, when we talk about sovereignty and, and election and we talk about man making a choice, we bring these things in conflict. And I understand there's mystery there and how it all works. I often say that man's free will never usurps the sovereignty of God. But it is God's will from eternity past that he would create a world where there would be people who would need a savior and he would step in and provide that way of salvation and that would hinge upon the finished work of Christ and your reception of the gift that he's offered. But in this, I think it's important to realize that the weight of God's glory is that he is the one that has accomplished it all. He's the one that does it all. He's the one that, by his grace, again, saves anyone. The message then in reconciliation or the majesty of reconciliation is that God created a world where man would have a choice. And you and I this morning need to make a choice that we receive him as our savior. If you haven't made that decision, you need to turn to him. You need this, this, this work of God in your life. And there are some in this room that would be like my stepdad and that my dad would say, he would say, I don't believe that God can wash all my sin away. You have a decision to make. Will you believe the promise of God or not? Will you make a decision to receive the offer that he has given? But know this, anybody that does receive that offer, all glory goes to him. The management of reconciliation. The management of reconciliation, I use that because we're going to discuss for a moment uh, the second part. All we've done right now is gone over all things are of God. Now, before I leave that entirely and go to the rest of the verse, uh, Many commentaries would, would agree the broadness of that statement, all things are of God, has specific reference to the work of changing man completely to be fit for heaven. But it's broad because any good thing, all gifts that God has given truly do come from him. And he is the one that is worthy of all our praise and adoration. So it is truly and right for us this morning to come to this place and offer back praise to God who has done things for us that we can never do for ourselves. To him be all glory. The management of reconciliation is in the latter part of this in verse 18. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This second part of the message, the management of reconciliation, is in between those commas. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. We're going to take a moment on this management of reconciliation to dive into the word reconciliation or reconcile. Now, if you look up the word, the word means to exchange. And if you puzzle over that for a while... How is it that there is an exchange? And uh, let me ask you, how many of you in this room uh, have some kind of accounting background? Some kind of a, some kind of a financial background where, let me, let, me, let me broaden the scope. How many of you, maybe you don't want to answer this, try to reconcile your checkbook? <laughs> nope, gave it up long ago, long ago. All right, well, the idea of reconciliation to reconcile something has the idea of giving an account of things that aren't equal and bringing it into equality or bringing it to a zero balance. 
It's the idea of an exchange, that one thing is exchanged for another, where one thing is out of line to bringing it into line. And, and again, I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe you have. Uh, I now have software that helps me do this. Um, but I remember, maybe some of you are still doing this. Um, I remember the days of taking my checkbook and doing the math behind everything that came. How many of you old school people with me? You know what I'm talking about? All right. Uh, some of the younger people are like, what? Okay. Uh, uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to try to reconcile your checkbook. Have you ever been there where it has been off by pennies? Doesn't it drive you nuts? It drives you crazy. And what do you do? You strain at where is the error? And what is the error? Well, you spent more than you had. That's what the error is. No, I, I, there is somewhere in the math. Somewhere in the math, somewhere, there's a penny, a dollar. And, and, and anybody else, you've done all the sleuthing. You've chased things down and, you, and then you start dividing things. Maybe it's this twice. Maybe it's that three times. And you multiply. And does that come up to that number? How does it? And you, you strain at it. Why? Because you want to make sure that the accounting of what you value actually comes to a zero balance so that you know that what you have really is yours. The word reconcile has much of that flavor. There is an account that is out of balance. The account that is out of balance is our sin. Our sin makes us, and the idea of out of balance, our sin makes us not right with God. And to this, I go over to familiar passages. It'll be two in Romans chapter five. So go to Romans five and know this, that our sin has to be accounted for. And our sin makes us out of account or out of balance with God. We are not at a place of where things have been reconciled and brought to balance where our sin is all paid for. It has to be reconciled. It can only be done through Christ. And where we stand is at a negative balance. Now, there, there is one good thing about our national debt. The one good thing about our national debt that brings biblical illustration is to understand or to try to reconcile in your mind, what if all of the national debt was to be laid upon your shoulders? Is there any one person on the planet that can pay for all the national debt that we have? No. If you try to do the math illustrations for our debt, actually, it, it is so beyond where I'm at now, the illustrations pale. It's like, how do, you, how do you appropriately give an illustration for how much debt we're in? That is a really solid illustration for the debt of our sin. And we owe that account towards a holy God. Romans chapter 5 tells us this. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anchor off several passages, but Romans 5, dealing with the management of reconciliation, verse 1 and 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have something with God. What do we have? We have 
and exchange that brings this weight of our sin into balance to where all of it has been paid for. Not one thing has been missed. Not one sin, not one debt that we owe um, because of our sin is missed. That exchange happens because God, through the ministry of reconciliation, declares us to be justified. We are now made right in the sight of God. And instead of being under wrath from John 3 verse 18, instead of being under that wrath, we have peace with God. Now, the message is always clear. It's not just a universalism that everybody has it, that everybody can find your own way. Right here in this passage, it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How does it end the verse? <clears throat> Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on and says in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now listen to the promise. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The fact that anybody is saved this morning means that God's majesty and reconciliation is that he does the work. But the management of reconciliation happens where God doesn't exchange Christ's righteousness for our sin. And he brings all of our sin debt into balance, making us then right with God. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Greg read this this morning before our service began. Began. For when we were yet without strength, without strength means incapable of doing what was necessary. When we were incapable in due time or the appointed time or the appropriate time, the right time, Christ died for who? Who did he die for? Now, do you understand the weight of your sin that you are in that category of the ungodly? Appropriately, that if God wanted to hold all of your account responsible by you, he could. But instead, through his love and by his grace, Christ steps in on our behalf. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It peradventure for, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Verse 8, you know the verse well. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then you have this phrase, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from something through him. What are we saved from? Now listen, folks, I want to help you to reconcile this to your heart. Some live in a doctrinal position of insecurity. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, the doctrine of the Bible is that he has paid it all. All of it. There is nothing left to account for. Jesus did it all. We're justified by his blood. By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You have the phrase again. Much more. Being reconciled, we shall be saved. How? By his life. By your works? No. 
by your being good enough? No. By your finally doing the right things? No. It's we are saved by his life. Verse 11, not only, and not only so, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The point is, in the management of our sin, God gave a way to manage all the debt that we owe. And that is why the word reconcile has as a flavor exchange. That God did a great exchange. Christ for you. Him paying for your sin as opposed to you paying for your sin. We're going to turn then to this last point, And that is the message or ministry. See, I get two M's on that one. The message or ministry of reconciliation. This is an important thing as we wrap up the message this morning. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Go back to verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. This ministry is what he was rejoicing in back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 when he talked about a treasure. Again, think about who we are. We are sinners that didn't get ourselves cleaned up to be right with God. We were sinners without strength, without ability, and God in his love and his kindness steps in in time and history, goes to the cross to pay for the sins of the world for anyone that would want to receive this gift of everlasting life. He does all of that, and yet those very sinners that he saves now become the servants by which the message of the gospel is given to the world. So, go to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We've been here several times, but look at it again. But we have this, and here's that word, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. I hope they're watching online. Uh, they were going to try to be baptized today. Ariel wasn't feeling well, but I just want to share a testimony about um, them coming to Christ. I shared it on Tuesday night for those that were here. And I don't always ask these questions this way. But as I gave the gospel to Paul and Ariel, as, as we spoke about Christ, um, when Paul accepted Christ as his Savior, I looked at, his, I looked at him and I, I could just see it all over him, just relief. And so I asked him, and I don't, I don't always do this, but I asked him, how do you feel right now? And he just had this beaming smile come across his face. And I don't remember his exact word, but it was something like, this is awesome. And he looked over at Ariel and, you know, it was just, just a beaming smile and uh, just rejoicing. And he, and he went on to say, I feel like a huge weight has just been lifted off of me. Now, why did he feel that? Why did he feel that? Is there doctrine behind that? It's the exchange. It's the Holy Spirit 
God-given exchange for every believer. He takes all of that sin and he throws it off of that believer and it's on, Christ had it on him and that's why he went to the cross. But that person who's received Jesus, it is all gone. You know the phrase, the Bible says our sin has been cast where? As far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more. Not because God can't remember it, but because God chooses not to remember it. Why? Jesus paid it all. This message of reconciliation is given to us sinners who now hold a heavenly message, a treasure that the world needs to hear. The message in 2 Corinthians 5 goes further in these next several verses. Here is the message to wit. Here's, here it is. Here's, here's the message of reconciliation. That God was in Christ, the idea through Christ or by the person of Christ, doing what? Reconciling the world unto himself. And here is the fruit of that reconciliation. Not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word or this word of reconciliation. What it means is that every one of us, if we were to be held account for our sin, none of us could pay for it. None of us could ever make that sin debt go away. None of us could ever be found guiltless. You know the passages. Romans 3.10, there is none, you know the word, there is none what? Righteous. What does that mean? Nobody's right with God. Nobody. You know the next verse we go to, Romans 3.23. Why? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one is deserving of this grace. But this message was revealed in Christ that God was in the world reconciling the world unto himself and not imputing or holding against or applying their sin unto them. And he's given us this message. A message that says, you can be saved. You can be rescued. Now listen, folks. Is there a lot of sin in the world? Are we pretty heavy in our sin right now? How, how tainted is our society with sin right now? I mean, how evident is it? It's my opinion through Romans 1, that one of the culminating factors of a depraved nation is an over-obsession with immorality. An over-obsession so that uh, we do things that are deplorable. Man doing with man what should only be done between man and woman. And woman with woman doing the same. It is all over. You cannot boycott everybody who believes this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You, you do what you think. But I'm telling you what, we are showing around us that we are a depraved nation. And that depravity has become only more emboldened. Now I got a secret for you. That sinners still need saving. 
And there are sinners who still want to be saved. And I know there's a lot, especially when and all this agenda is being forced in your life through education and funding and our military and all kinds of stuff. This, this, this whole twisting. I mean, if you're like me as a believer, you find it ridiculous that we're in a place where we can't define what a man is and what a woman is. But how do you get there? You get there when you don't know God. And you choose to reject him. And when you choose to reject him, you're open to anything. And you can believe anything you want to believe. But believing anything you want to believe will not make you right with God or not, will not get you to heaven. No matter what is it T.D. Jakes, no matter what Oprah, no matter what all these people are saying. And by the way, that's the popularity of the world of, the, of some kind of religious message that everybody's going to get there. The message of the gospel is, yes, offensive because it deals with people's sin. But the message of the gospel is glorious because God deals with people's sin. And here's what I'm telling you. Think about the awful life, all right? Think about the awful life. And by the way, I think we're seeing it in this valley. I talked to, I talked to a gentleman who was at the prayer breakfast yesterday, or excuse me, the men's breakfast yesterday, and uh, here from Texas, right? You're from Texas. And I said, ah, a sister state, one that uh, is very like Idaho in conservatism. And they said, what do you think they said? Oh, not so much. What do you think I said about Idaho? Oh, not so much. Why is that? Because we have a nation that has gotten far, far, far from God. And when you open yourself up to the world, again, you'll believe anything. But think about this. Think about someone who is in uh, elementary age. They've got a teacher saying, um, uh, you may not be a boy. Or you may not be a girl. Can you believe that our legislators... Or in Washington, having debates with people where they are saying, uh, do you believe that only women can have babies? Can you believe those words are coming out of our legislators? And then there are those who are saying, no, I don't. Well, what's the idea? The idea is that there are people who are suffering under that kind of open door agenda and, and believing those lies. And imagine then you go through a physical change to make your gender something else. Thinking that that's finally going to bring peace to your life, does it? It doesn't. It brings more confusion. It brings more inner turmoil. And falsely, what has been said is that those people who have a huge, uh, a high rate of suicide, instead of understanding where that weight comes from, that when you try to defy God and find peace, find peace by redefining yourself, you only find turmoil. Instead, that, that anger and wrath has been turned towards Christians that say, well, it's because of you not accepting us. Let me tell you about the accepting of the gospel. The accepting of the gospel is that God will save anyone that wants to be saved. Anyone. Anyone. 
And I am pleased to stand here this morning and tell you that there are people who have been through that very kind of thing and have found exactly what we've talked about this morning, that the world will not give you peace and in that lostness have found Jesus. How is it that someone so lost and so far from God can be saved? Well, let me ask you, who are you that you could be saved? And yet God not only saves us, but he now entrusts these saved sinners with the message of reconciliation. That you and I have the message of deliverance, of peace, of rescue. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not charging or imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Read verses 20 and 21 with me out loud. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You and I, believers, in these last couple minutes, you and I are the ambassadors that God has given to this world. Now, we're talking about evangelism in my Sunday school class. The idea of evangelism is that God has called every one of us to be an ambassador. It's right that we should strain at it. It's right that we should think about it. It's right that we should wonder over how are we going to get this done. But folks, it is a message that you and I need to own. We'll come back. I'm not sure if we'll spend more time on verse 20 and 21 next week. But it seems fitting that in this passage that God has given this whole message to us of what it means to be reconciled to God. And I want to remind you that it is his glory that does it. It is his grace that gives it. And we are the ones that carry that message to a lost and dying world. I just want to remind you that God is still in the miracle working business of saving sinners. Now, our time is done. But I would, I would have told you, again, I'm, it's an old illustration, but some of you don't know. But if you'd, if you'd have asked me if my dad would have ever been saved, I prayed like he would. But in my heart, I didn't know how it was ever going to happen. Because he was dealing with Catholicism in his life that told him he would not go to heaven. And when I asked him where he was going to go, he said very upfront, I am going to hell. And my, my dad did not look like a real friendly guy. He was a boxer in the Navy. His eyes were sunken back, had big dark eyebrows off and told him he looked like Frankenstein. And even though he was my stepdad, there were people that said, you guys look alike. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but what a joy it is to stand in front of you this morning and know that there was a day in his life where he turned to Christ. There are neighbors around you. There are 
people that they may be kicking hard against God. And they may even, may even at this point hate you and your message. But it is the grace of God to use you as a sinner to take that message. And it's the grace of God that anybody believes. But you and I have the privilege of sharing it. It is one of the great reasons that we exist as a church. And we are tasked with this job. And I hope we can do this job in gratitude for the salvation that God has given to us.